Welcome to Let's Talk It All. I'm Anvil. Jeff's got the night off. And it's Halloween night, October 31st, 2019. And tonight we're going to do a little different. We're going to do a rebroadcast of the Radio Free Anvil podcast that talked about Halloween statistics and facts, weird and actual. And then in the second hour we are going to replay the original broadcast of the 1938 War of the Worlds, which was broadcast on October 30th, 1938, and it is the radio broadcast that terrorized a nation. So sit back, enjoy, happy Halloween, and we will both be talking to you next week. And today's podcast is being brought to you on location at the Riverside Cemetery in Nichols, New York. It is October 31st. It's Halloween 19, or actually Halloween 2019. And uh, I thought it'd be a little fun to do the uh, podcast from a cemetery. And uh, I drive by this one all the time. And I'm away to work, away from work. And uh, I thought I'd pull in, check it out. Um, got some new headstones. Got some old, old headstones. Uh, but uh, nice little cemetery. Uh, they also have posted the rates to be cremated and buried, which is sad. nice. It is sad. It is sad. Uh, that was my M2 uh, ghost, ghost Vox. Uh, I'm going to have that running while we do the show. And uh, see what kind of responses I get. We use this when we investigate to see if we can get any entities to give us words that are relevant to what we're doing. So uh, that's going to be running. So every now and then you might hear a word pop up. And I'll probably repeat it just to make sure it's recorded. And uh, we'll go from there. But it is Halloween 2019. Uh, It is a dreary sprinkly day as uh, one of the EVP responses I got just moments before I started uh, it said it was humid and uh, yes it's very humid it's so humid that it's raining so the humidity is right at uh, 99 to 100% in this area and the sprinkling has stopped so I've got the one window down to get a little air so you might hear a little background noise of traffic from the highway which is probably mm, quarter mile away uh, but I got the cemetery in front of me. I've got a cornfield behind me, and uh, let's hope nothing staircase. bad. Staircase. Staircase. Uh, staircase to heaven, maybe. Maybe staircase to heaven. That would be, uh, you know, if you're a Led Zeppelin fan, that would work. Um, so this show, I want to talk about Halloween. Uh, lots of other things we could talk about, uh, but I'm going to try to keep as much of it on Halloween as possible. 
I'm going to go through some uh, fun facts, scary facts, myths, legends, uh, points of origin, um, things like that, and uh, just kind of for the record, for your amusement, for your knowledge, maybe you know it, maybe you don't, uh, but we're going to talk about those things. So, without any further ado, uh, first little thing I got is the term Jack O'Lantern, and this comes from... Refer? Say a command. No, that's a, that's a Select G- a phone name. That's a GPS. Silly. Yes, the GPS is very silly to think we were talking to it. Um, refer. Yes, we're going to refer to some online articles to get this information. Thank you for that. Whoever's hanging out with me. Uh, to the spirits that might be hanging out, you can communicate through the, the EVP ghost box, or you can walk up to this little uh, gizmo I got on my dash of the car, if you understand all that, sitting in front of me with the red light on, and you can talk to that. Uh, we may or may not hear you, but when we play it back, I'm hoping we will. So anyways, Jack O'Lantern comes from the Irish legend of Stingy Jack, and this is kind of how it goes. Legend has it, Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him, but Jack didn't want to pay for the drink, so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin. But instead of buying the drink, he pocketed the coin and kept it close to a silver cross in his house, preventing the devil from taking shape again. He promised to let the devil go as long as he would leave Jack alone for one year. And that, if Jack died, he, the devil Bra. wouldn't claim... Bra? <laughs> really? Bra? Really? Okay. Uh, the devil wouldn't claim his soul. After a year... Mailbox. Mailbox? Okay. After a year, Jack tricked after, oh, let me start this over again. He promised to let the devil go and would not have Jack alone for years, and the Jack died, he would not claim his soul. After a year, Jack tricked the devil again to leave him alone and not claim his soul when Jack died. God didn't want such con, con, conniving person in heaven, and the text. devil, text, okay, heaven, and the devil, true to his word, would not allow him into hell. Jack was set off into the night with only a burning coal to light the path. He placed a coal inside a carved-out turnip, interesting turnip, and has been roaming the earth ever since. People in Ireland and Scotland began creating their own creations of Jack's lanterns out of turnips, beets, and potatoes. The tradition traveled to the United States along with the immigrants, and people began to use pumpkins native to North America for the lanterns instead. So Jack tricked the devil but was too smart for his own good because in tricking the devil God also said I didn't want anyone that devious in heaven and Jack was left on earth to roam and walk and wander with his Jack O'Lantern which at the time was a turnip. Interesting. Uh, Next thing, candy corn was originally called chicken feed. Chicken feed, imagine that. Uh, probably should go back to calling it chicken feed. Though many would argue that candy corn tastes like chicken feed, that's not how it got its original name. Created in 1880 by George Rinegar, it was sold to the masses by the Jelly Belly Company at the turn of the century. Because corn it is what they used to feed chickens, the creation was called chicken feed. And the box yeah. was... 
wind. It's not really windy, but it might pick up. Uh, the box was marked with a colorful rooster. So candy corn, as we know it today, was originally called chicken feed. That's kind of fun. It's starting to rain a little bit more. That's interesting. So, let's see what else we got. Halloween folklore. Folklore is full of fortune-telling and magic. Old English folklore about Halloween is full of superstitions and fortune-telling that still lingers today, like bobbing for apples or avoiding black cats. One piece of folklore says that if a young unmarried person walks down the stairs backward at midnight while holding a mirror, the face that appears in the mirror will be their next lover. That's interesting because there's similar uh, folklore about walking backwards at midnight and seeing a witch. So that's an interesting take on that whole walking backwards at Toaster. Midnight. Toaster? Okay. Soap. Soap? Okay. You're just throwing out random words now, aren't you? Happen. Happen? Michael Myers' mask is actually William Shatner's mask. Uh, different variations on the story, but basically... Uh, in 1978, the horror film Halloween, um, they were on a, a very, very, very tight budget, and they needed a mask for Michael Myers in the movie, and they sent one of the one of the prop people out to go find something, and they actually found two masks. They found a clown's mask, which is funny because that's actually seen in the movie. But then they also found a Captain Kirk mask. $2, Captain Kirk. Uh, they repainted re it white and uh, cut the eye holes a little more, uh, making William Shatner look incredibly creepy. Uh, interesting. So, and I think a lot of people know about that one. That one's been talked about a lot, that uh, Michael Myers' mask is actually a uh, mask of William Shatner. So, Captain Kirk. So, that's always... Always interesting. So one of the obvious fun facts, weird facts about Halloween uh, is that it wasn't always Halloween. It actually uh, originates almost 2,000 years ago when the Celts in Ireland and Scotland and uh, in some reports England um, celebrated the end of summer, beginning of fall, a uh, time known as Samhain. Samhain. Um, and uh, enjoy, enjoy. Yeah, you, they would enjoy this festival. It would be uh, thanking for the harvest, thanking for for a plentiful harvest. Uh, we're asking for uh, an easy winter um, and things like that. Uh, but also, they recognize that this time of year, the the veil, the 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 wall, the veil, the whatever you want to call it, between worlds. And that would be our world and the next world, grows very thin. And it is far easier for spirits to cross over to our side of the veil, our side of the wall, uh, than any other time. So the story goes. And so Samhain, they would also uh, 
try to help protect themselves from uh, possible evil spirits that cross over by wearing uh, masks and costumes. Um, and not so much to ward off evil, but to confuse it. And uh, the evil spirits will see uh, an equally evil-looking creature running around and would leave it alone. Um, by the 8th century, uh, Pope Gregory III decreed... Uh, blink. blink. yeah. Pope Gregory III declared November 1st as All Saints Day and incorporated some of the rituals of Samhain. Um, Halloween was also sometimes called All Hallows' Eve um, and, and other names. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, so as Christianity started to replace paganism, um, they incorporated some of the pagan holidays and rituals into their own and the celebration wallpaper wallpaper the celebrations of Samhain were quickly uh, put into Halloween and All Saints Day and All Hallows Eve and um, incorporated into a Christian holiday so uh, that is where the origins of Halloween at least in Europe, come from. It wasn't until later uh, it came to the United States. Uh, basically, uh, the Puritans really didn't subscribe to uh, this kind of behavior. So it wasn't until early in the 1900s uh, when we started to get more of the immigrants from Europe, uh, specifically... Ireland and uh, a few other places that they brought the traditions of Halloween or Samhain with them. So in Des Moines, taxi, taxi Des Moines, Iowa has a hilarious, hilarious tradition called Beggar's Night. So the night before Halloween, young children in Des Moines hit the streets for Beggar's Night. According to an article in the Des Moines Register, the event began around 1938 as a way to prevent vandalism and give younger children a safer way to enjoy Halloween. Beggar's Night is very similar to trick-or-treat, except kids are required to tell a joke, poem, or perform a trick for a treat. The best part, the jokes are notoriously grown-worthy like... Clarice. Clarice. Okay, Hannibal, thank you for that. If April showers bring me flowers, what do May flowers bring? The answer is pilgrims. Get your best dad jokes ready for Beggar's Night, which was actually last night. So, for those that are actually afraid of Halloween, they've actually phobia this, and it is Samhain-phobia is the fear of Halloween. That would seem pretty obvious. Some of the some of the phobias, you really got to figure out what the words mean to get that phobia, but Samhain-phobia is the fear of Halloween. Some of the other names for Halloween is Witches' Nights, Lamb's Wool, no B. Real. Real, really, I'm telling you the truth. Snap Apple Night and Summer's End. Oh, what else we got? Oh, Halloween, uh, again, was brought to the U.S. by Irish and Scottish immigrants during the 1800, 18th century and early 19th century. 
Uh, pumpkins. Talk about pumpkins for a little bit. Pumpkins are not just orange. Legs. Legs. Pumpkins are not just orange, but can also grow to be blue, white, or green. I've never seen the blue. I've seen the white. I've seen the green. I've uh, never seen the blue. So that's interesting. Uh, side note, um, be mindful that there's a good chance that... Romeo. Romeo. There's a good chance that if a child has a blue pumpkin basket to collect candy in, uh, he might have autism. That seems to be the designated color, although I'm sure there's other blue pumpkin... Baskets out there, but keep that in mind. Pumpkins, although claimed were North America, they are. They are originated in Mexico. Uh, other, other odd beliefs. Uh, believing seeing a spider on Halloween, it is the spirit of a loved one watching over you. So, uh, just on Halloween, don't kill spiders. Uh, because it might be a loved one watching over you. So keep that in mind the next time you whack that arachnid with a shoe. Uh, the word witch comes from Old English word wiz, meaning wise nerd. woman. Nerd. Yeah, a nerd, nerd woman. According to popular belief, witches held one of their eight meetings, or sabbats, <clears throat> On Halloween night. Original trick-or-treaters receive mostly fruits and nuts, not candy. Uh, again, trick-or-treating became popular in, in the U.S. around the 1930s. Chocolate makes up about three-quarters of the trick-or-treaters loot. According to the change. Nas- change. According to the National Confectioners Association. of trick-or-treaters prefer chocolate candy, such as candy bars over hard candy, such as lollipops. 50% of kids prefer to receive... Number. number, 50% of kids prefer to receive candy for Halloween, compared to 24% who prefer non-chocolate candy and 10% who prefer gum. Halloween is the second largest grossing commercial holiday after Christmas. Figure that one out. More than twice as much chocolate is sold for Halloween as for Valentine's Day. According to National Retail Federation, Americans spend on average $74.34 per adult person on candy, costumes, and decor. I've seen other numbers that go as high as $85.90. Uh, per person, so you're spending just shy of hundred bucks. But I'll tell you what, I know Alani has spent way more skeleton. than that skeleton to look like a skeleton. Absolutely, way more than that uh, this season alone. Uh, let's see, wife, wife. That's Alani. We were just talking about Alani. That's right. That's my wife. Ninety nine percent of all pumpkins sold are used for jack o' lanterns for Halloween. That's interesting. Uh, especially on how much pumpkin pie filling there is. That must not be real. Ugh. Uh, 86% of Americans decorate their homes to celebrate Halloween. Uh, according to Hallmark, Halloween is the sixth most popular 
card giving holiday with 20 million cards sent each year. Uh, this one, probably a lot of people know this one. The famous magician, dirt. The famous magician Harry Houdini, uh, died on Halloween night, nineteen twenty-six, and with two million annual visitors, fifty thousand. Marcy, Marcy, fifty thousand of which in costume. The Greenwich Village Halloween Parade is the largest Halloween celebration in the world. Some other fun facts uh, for those that like the holiday movies, the Halloween holiday movies. Uh, Disney almost made Hocus Pocus, which is a huge holiday Halloween favorite, into a completely different movie. Movie. The original title of Disney's how was Halloween's Halloween House. Also went along with a much darker and scarier script. Uh, fun fact, Leonardo DiCaprio nearly played Max Dennison, but he turned it down to appear in What's Eating the Gilbert Grape. Manda. Mm. Illinois produces up to five times more pumpkins than any other state. Monster Mash, once being supreme on the Billboard charts. Bobby Boris Pickett reached number one on the Hot 162 in 1962, just before Halloween, and then later recharted in 1973, but this time in August, that's odd, uh, with the Monster Mash, and that is heard all the time. It's been done by this group and that group and every other group. Um, so that's a great song, Monster Mash. He did one, uh, I believe in 63 or 64, called the Monster Swim. I'll have to look that up to be sure, but he did one to, you know, parallel the dance craze that was going on at the time. Turkey. Yeah, it was a turkey, all right, because they, you know, I, I didn't know the song existed until a few, few days ago. Um... They actually have Pumpkin Patch in Hawaii if you want to visit one. Uh, that's interesting because they're definitely not native of Hawaii. Uh, the fastest pumpkin carving lasted 16.47 seconds. Stephen Clark. Neighborhood. Neighborhood. Stephen Clark holds the honor. Jack o' Lantern had, a, had to contain complete face, including eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. 16 seconds. That is crazy. Uh, most popular children's costumes are princesses and or superheroes. And the most popular costume for dogs in 2018 was a pumpkin. Stay. Stay. Yeah, for a dog, stay. You're funny. You're very funny. Uh, Skittles are the top Halloween candy. Uh, Skittles, Top Halloween Candy, and Tootsie Rolls are the least liked. Carol. And Reese's are a little better liked. And then you've got the other candies like Mary Jane's and Circus Peanuts and some of the others that are just crazy nasty. Uh, 
Interesting fact and sad. Uh, some shelters used to suspend black cat adoptions for Halloween. Um, the fear was that animals were in danger of satanic cults. In the days leading up to Halloween, nowadays some shelters promote black cat adoptions in October and use interviews to weed out anyone with wrong intentions. Black cats are so pretty. No, not dogs. Cats. Black cats, not dogs. Um, the night before Halloween is called Mischief Night or Goosey Night in some places. Gassy. Gassy. No, Goosey. Not Gassy. Goosey. Goosey Night in some places. Um, so that's interesting. That's a look at some of the fun things going on. So we talked about cats not being adopted from shelters. Eastern, Eastern yeah. Uh, black cat superstitions probably started back with the pilgrims when they got to the colonies. Uh, the Puritans of the Plymouth County who disapproved of anything associated with witchcraft. Uh, some believe the legends that witches could transform into black cats and back. Hence the inspiration for pop culture characters like Salem on Sabrina the Teenage Witch or Binks on Hocus Pocus. Uh, some believe, women believe, that the Halloween was a chance to find their potential uh, future husbands. Um, one of the one of the ways to divine that, women would toss an apple peel over their shoulder in the hopes that they would see the sh- shape of their future, future husbands, husband's initial on the ground. Uh, another student said, a mirror in a dark room and holding it up to a kid and seeing the future and that's like walking down the steps backwards so uh, kids were not a fan brush yep kids were not a fan of Tootsie Rolls in 2017 Uh, other losers like we said circus peanuts candy corn wax coke bottles necro wafers Mary Janes Tootsie Rolls Smarties Black Licorice and Good and Plenty uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups were 2017's most popular candy. Uh, no one can ever get enough of that. Other favorite Snickers, Twix, Nerds, Kit Kats, Sour Patch Kids, Total and Skittles. Stand. stand. Yep. People used to dance and sing for treats. Uh, at one time you had to perform. You, you had to do a trick to get a treat. And, uh, Sometimes you get to older people's homes and they want a trick before they give you a treat and that's because uh, it used to be you had to do something to to uh, get your get your treat. Um, yes, only only in freaking California. Silly string. Say a command. Oh my god, the GPS is killing me. Uh, silly string in Hollywood on Halloween is banned. Uh, avoid. Avoid. Yep, banned. Avoid. Uh, created in 2004, the enforcement authority, New York Times, if you're caught with sticky hands, expect to pay a $1,000 fine. Only in California. Uh, let's see. Parents spend a lot on Halloween. We talked about this in 2013. Uh, Census Bureau estimated there were 41 million trick-treaters, ages 5 to 14 in America. Parents spend 
chicken. Yeah, yeah. Parents spent an estimated one billion, billion with a B, one billion on children's costumes uh, combined. By 2014, the number nearly tripled. And according to the National Retail Federation, Halloween party goers spent an estimated $2.8 billion on costumes. Just on costumes overall. That, my friends, is crazy. So here's a little bit of a fun one. Uh, you just, if you missed that, the GPS or the uh, M2 just said veil. The night before Halloween is Cabbage Night to New Englanders. According to Live Science, some pranksters in the northeastern U.S. keep up with the stinky tradition of collecting rotting Puerto Rico. Puerto Rito? No, no. Rabbit. Rabbit. Okay. Stinky tradition of collecting rotten vegetables and leaving them near their neighbors' doors to honor of Cabbage Night on October 30th. Cabbage Night. That's a new one. Ohio is the home to the world's longest haunted house. No matter how scary your local haunted house Tiger. is, Tiger, it probably can't top the haunted cave in Lewisburg, Ohio, measuring 30, over 3,500 feet long. Uh, the Guinness World Book of Records named it the world's largest haunted house. Even spookier, it's located 80 feet below ground in an abandoned mine. That sounds fun, actually. Uh, one of the newer traditions, and when I say newer, here, yeah, newer here. Um, well, yeah, newer traditions here, but overall it started uh, 19 years ago. Trunk or treating. Uh, calling. Calling. Born uh, in 2000. Due to safety concerns, trunk or treating was introduced in 2000 as an alternative to hitting the pavement for candy on Halloween night, cars are parked in a circle at a school or church parking lot. Event goers decorate their open trunks, sneeze, sneeze, and dressing in costume in order to haunting. hand out sweets. Haunting, absolutely haunting. Uh, Halloween Texas. Uh, Charlie Brown creates a piece of Halloween history. And that's, of course, Charlie Brown. Uh, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Um, in 1960 TV special, the iconic wow. lead character says, I got a rock while trick-or-treating. The phrase went on to become one of the most famous lines in peanut history. Uh, yeah, people like to dress up their pets. They definitely dress up their pets. Um, lions, pirates, and again, why should the pet industry not capitalize on uh, the billion dollars spent every year on uh, Halloween costumes? So I'm going to read you this one, um, and this is from uh, Factinate, F-A-C-T-I-N-A-T-E, uh, 45 Strings. Watching. Watching, absolutely. 
45 Strange Facts by Halloween. The tradition of wearing scary costumes on Halloween comes from the ancient Celts. And they had a creepy reason for doing so. Back then, people believed dressing up as demons and the like would confuse and ward off evil spirits who roamed the streets during Samhain. A holiday that was essentially the pagan version of Halloween. Okay, I... I know what they're trying to say in that, but it sounds like they're saying Samhain was kind of a pagan ripoff of Halloween, when in fact Halloween came after Samhain. Uh, if anything, Halloween is a ripoff, a Christian ripoff of the Samhain holiday, but that's just funny the way they worded it. Uh, let's see. Phobia, jack lanterns what else? Wicked... Floor. Floor. Owl omens. Owls are popular Halloween symbolism. Uh, in medieval times, owls were believed to be witches. And if you heard the call of an owl, it meant someone was about to die. Well, luckily that's not true because uh, Jeff and I the other night were out hunting Bigfoot. And uh, we heard owls a lot. And luckily both of us made it out uh, alive on that one. Uh Spiders being your, your family members, black cats. Bats are also feared as familiars, which is bats have an additional connection to Halloween. The bonfires that the ancient Celts built to celebrate uh, Samhain would often attract flying mammals. Husband. Husband. They would try to find attract husbands, too. You're right. Um, it would attract bats because it would attract insects. And that's what bats eat. So I don't know most much fire attracted the bats is fire attracted the bats food and that attracted the bats. So according to I think Alani tries to do this one every day. According to Lungeon, if you put your clothes on inside out, and she does that. Fasten. Fasten. And walk backwards at Halloween, uh, you'll see a witch at midnight. So, anyone out there wants to try that and let me know how it turns out, that'd be great. Uh, put your clothes inside out, walk backwards, and at midnight you will see a witch. Uh, during Samhain, some villagers would dress up as animal skin, with animal skins and dance around the fire to scare away spirits. We talked about that. Uh, so, original Mass... Were actually animal skulls, animal skins, um, those kind of things. And they would walk the streets uh, exchanging treats in the forms of food and drink. Oh, let's see. Prank show. Irish and Scottish immigrants in North America brought brought geysing and soling with them. So geysing and soling are Scottish and Irish terms for trick-or-treat. Young people began to prefer pranks over performing. By 1920, the pranks were starting to cause serious damage to property, Uh, then increasing violence of the tricks. Attend. Yeah, attend, absolutely. Uh, Led to the more organized practice of trick-or-treating. So some of the things you're going to find possibly back in my day, uh, toilet paper trees, toilet paper houses, 
uh, egging, throwing eggs at cars and windows, uh, the infamous bag of poop on fire on the doorstep, and then the owner would come out and stomp on the fire, try to put it out, and he'd be stomping on a bag full of duty. Ah, duty, I said duty. Um, in the 1940s, uh, trick treating was halted because of wartime rationing, uh, because uh, it had to curtail the use of sugar. That one probably was obvious. House colors. Halloween is traditionally associated with the colors orange and black. Orange because of the link to the Harvest Festival and black because of the connections to darkness and death. After all, Samhain is about celebrating the boundaries between life and death. Great Pumpkin. Hey, they. F- I think this record got beat, actually. Uh, Ron Wallace holds the record for the largest pumpkin ever grown. 1,502 pounds. Beam through in 2006. Um, I believe that was just broken this year. And I want to say the pumpkin was close to or in excess of 2,000 pounds. It was like 19-something, or it was just over 2,000 pounds. Uh, that's a ton of pumpkin. Literally a ton of pumpkin. Uh, so that, that one's obviously an old stat. Uh, let me touch Jim. So, trick-or-treating was first mentioned in print in North America in 1927. Eat. Eat. Trick-or-treat. Eat candy. Absolutely. Since 2004, a bizarre law has been enacted on the streets of Hollywood and Halloween. That's about the silly string. Uh, Halloween by the numbers. People in the U.S. spent $8.4 billion. $8.4 billion in 2006. I'm trying to concentrate. You keep yelling words at me. Uh, $8.4 billion in 2016 on candy, costumes, and decorations. Um, I believe it. I know right near us, um, any of the arts and crafts stores have a whole section dedicated to Halloween. Uh, There's actually... Uh, Halloween Spirit or Spirit Halloween, whichever way it goes that basically comes in and sets up shop from October 1st to October 31st and they listen, listen, I am they take and and the one near us takes an old grocery market that's probably mm, 50, 60,000 square feet maybe and they convert it into decorations, costumes, animated characters, animated creatures, um, the whole kit and caboodle. And uh, it can't be cheap to do that, but uh, $8.4 billion spent three years ago. I'm sure it's much more now. So... Bobbing for apples, and this is a tradition you see, not really that so much anymore. Uh, bobbing for apples could also land you a mate. Apples are a symbol of fertility, and young women used to mark apples during apple bobbing. If a young man captured her apple while bobbing, the girl had found her matched. 
In Scotland, the single women were told to choose an array of hazelnuts that each represented one of their potential mates and throw them into a fire on Halloween. The nut that burned rather than popped represented her future husband. That's interesting. In 18th century Ireland, another tradition had a cook hiding a diamond ring in a bowl of mashed potatoes on Halloween. Whoever was, the, whoever was the first to find the ring was sure to find true love. Studies have shown that Halloween makes children a little more evil than usual. Children's identities are hidden, and they are also emboldened by groups. Because of this, Halloween makes children far less likely, far more likely, I'm sorry, far more likely to steal candy or money. I'm not sure where they're stealing money from, but okay. Uh, Day of the Dead. In Mexico, people celebrate Day of the Dead on November 2nd, rather than Halloween, October 31st. Uh, celebrants dress up as ghouls and roam the streets. Jessica. Jessica. Uh, so here we have... Nah, I'm not even going to talk about the exit. It doesn't make sense. Lightning Lantern. During the Halloween Festival in China, in China, people hang lanterns shaped like dragons and animals outside their homes to guide spirits back to their homes. Citizens also leave food and water in the front of uh, of portraits of their ancestors. So they honor the dead. In Hong Kong, Halloween is celebrated during the Festival of Friendly Ghosts. Downstairs. Downstairs. Food is left out and enough to make angry ghosts a little happier with the living. Children, yeah, this is gruesome. Children are more than twice as likely to be killed while walking the streets and sidewalks Halloween than any other night. So, again, uh, if you got little ones and you're out trick-or-treating tonight, um, it may not go with the costume, but try to get a reflective armband, try to get some kind of reflective something on their costume. Near. Pay, near. Pay attention. Uh, keep your kids safe, people. This is crazy. Uh, it is illegal to dress up as a priest for Halloween in Alabama, and you can be fined and or arrested for the offense. Although full moons are associated with Halloween, a Halloween full moon is quite rare. Uh, most recent full moon on Halloween was 1955, 1974, and 2001. A full moon is expected... Rest. Expected... On October 31st, 2020. So next Halloween will be special. And I'm hoping they push that push that uh, thing. Ever since 1927, when Houdini died, a saint has been held in the hopes of making contact with Houdini. Houdini has given a code word to his wife, Bess, before he died and told her he would use it if they were able to cross over from the other world. Best participated in seances for 10 years until finally declaring that she wasn't coming back. Seances, however, continue today without her. Curious what that word was. So, bonfires on Halloween. 
the practice has actually a sinister origin. The word bonfire comes from the phrase bone fire. Yes, that's right. During Samhain, priests would throw bones of cattle into the fire. It's uh, about the Kirk mask. Uh, born under a sign of the devil. Appropriately enough, director Peter Jackson was born on Halloween 1961. Although he is best known for Lord of the Rings franchise, his early career was interested in the horror genre, making horror comedy Bad Taste in 87 and zombie comedy Brain Dead in 92. Uh, his breakthrough film Heavenly Creatures in 94 was based on a terrifying true crime story. Bill. Build where two girls from Christchurch, New Zealand, murdered one of their mothers. Well, that's not Phew. nice. Uh, yeah, let's see. So, some of the things we do to help protect our children is that we tell them not to eat the candy till they get home. They want to check to make sure there's no pins and needles and razor blades and things like that in candy. A uh, couple stories uh, that go along those lines. Uh, one, where a child died from tainted candy, and upon investigation, it's actually believed that the child ate the uncle's stash of heroin, and they later sprinkled the heroin on the candy to throw off throw off suspicion from the uncle. Uh, also in 74, an 8-year-old Timothy O'Brien died of cyanide poisoning after eating Halloween candy. Investigators later learned that his father had taken out a $20,000 life insurance policy on each of his children and that he poisoned his own son and attempted to poison his daughter. Uh, nice, nice guy, nice guy, nice guy, nice guy. Uh, tension. Or the Lantern Festival is one of Halloween is one Halloween festival in China, and we talked about this lamp shaped like dragons uh, for their ancestors. Uh, a child born on Halloween is said to have the ability to talk to spirits, uh, not just children born on Halloween. Uh, Hong Kong, the Hungry Ghosts. Uh, in many countries, such as France and Australia. Halloween is seen as an unwanted and over-commercialized American influence. Well, of course, France and Australia would find a way to blame us for the holiday. Uh, both Salem, Massachusetts and Onaka, Minnesota, o or A-O-N-K-A, Minnesota, are self-proclaimed Halloween capitals of the world. Boston, Massachusetts holds the record for the most jack-o'-lanterns lit at once 30,128. Pumpkins are classified as a fruit, not a vegetable. Uh, in fact, in 2006, New Hampshire declared that the state fruit game is, is the pumpkin game. Absolutely. Uh, the original okay. name contained. The original name of Count Dracula in Bram Stokes' famous book was Count Wampry. W-A-M-P-Y-R. Wampry. Uh, 
Comedian John Evans once quipped, What do you get if you divide the circumference of Jack Lantern by its diameter? Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie. Think about it, folks. If you don't understand, email me. I'll explain to you. Uh, the Halloween. We talked about Halloween earlier with the William Shatner mask. Uh, side, side note on that. It was also filmed in just 21 days. 21 days. That's that's crazy. That's that's a quick, quick turnaround. Uh, the original name, title for that movie, Halloween, was Babysitter Murders. Um, I think they did the right thing by changing it to Halloween. Uh, the sounds of stabbing during the Halloween movie. Made by a knife being plunged into a watermelon, of all things. Uh, in Walnut, Walnut Creek, California. California, of course. Uh, an attempt to increase robberies and crime on Halloween. Uh, banned all masks without... Spouse. spouse. Banned all masks without a permit. In... Belleville, Missouri, does illegal ask for candy if you're over the age of 13. In Dublin, Georgia, it is illegal for anyone over the age of 16 to wear a mask, sunglasses, or any other facial covering on Halloween. In Alabama, it is illegal to dress up as a priest. We already talked about that. Average bag of candy that one child will collect on Halloween contains about 11,000 calories. And the original creator of Milk Duds wanted to make sure the candy into perfect circles. When that provided impossible, he called Eat. them duds. He added the word milk to refer to the large amount of milk used to make the candy. Milk Duds. So Milk Duds were a mistake, and that's how they got their name. Okay, so that's a run-through. Um, I pulled these facts off articles. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six different articles on the internet. Um, and I just kind of read them as we went along. Uh, I have no idea if we captured any voices on the tape recorder. And obviously the M2 was spitting out words, and some of them made sense, some of them didn't make sense. Uh, but it is Halloween 2019. I am sitting in the middle of a cemetery in Nichols, New York. Silly. It is silly. Absolutely, it is silly. Servant. Servant. I am a servant of my own silliness. Um, please, if you're out trick-or-treating, be safe. Um, if you're not trick-or-treating, you're just out, be aware of children of all ages, of parents, uh, being in the street, possibly being in the Concentrate. Dark. Concentrate. Concentrate. Uh, pay attention, concentrate, be aware of your surroundings, um, drive a little slower, be a little more cautious, be a little more aware of, Pass. yep, and, uh, let's not have, answer. yeah, answer, absolutely, let's not have any, uh, mishaps this Halloween, uh, let everyone get home safely and without incident, um, it's a fun holiday. Uh, people make a lot of it. People try to try to morph it into what they want. Um, oh, 
can't think of the guy's name at the top of my head. He was the leader of the Church of Satan. Um, uh. and, there, yeah. And uh, he came out and said, you know, Halloween. He enjoyed Halloween so much because it was the one day that all the children would, would celebrate his, his religion. And Halloween is not satanic. Um, it has images that are sometimes linked. Uh, black cats and ghosts and ghouls and demons and scary and the veil between the worlds and evil spirits, but it's not. It's it's a it was a pagan tradition that got appropriated by the Christian Church and then reappropriated by other cultures to be what they wanted to be. And now it's just kind of a commercialized uh, event like Christmas. Uh, again, Halloween. Uh, three years ago did over $8 billion in sales between candy costumes and whatever decorations. Uh, three years later, I would say we're probably up over $10 billion plus. It is the second most popular commercialized holiday uh, right behind Christmas. Um, so take it for what it's worth, but have, have fun with it. Throw up. Throw up. If you eat too much candy, you will throw up. I will, I will let you know. So don't eat all that candy at once. Uh, apparently there is a spirit here in the cemetery that maybe has had some experience with that and wants everyone to know, hey, be safe. Don't eat all the candy at once. You might throw up. Um, it's been a fun, fun time doing this, this little podcast. Uh, we're coming up on the hour mark. Uh, we're going to cut it cut it short. Uh, but again, uh, I'm Anvil. I'm in the middle of a cemetery in Nichols, New York. Uh, I've got my M2 EVP uh, app on, and it's giving me words. And uh, I'm talking to you folks. So again, have a good Halloween. Uh, if you celebrate it, if you don't, if you're a Samhain-phobic, Samhain-phobia, uh I, I apologize. It, it'll be over sooner than you, than you think. Um, and then you can go out and join the other, the other 364 days during the year. So uh, until then, until next time, uh, be safe and join me again for another episode of Radio Free Anvil, uh, my next podcast. Thank you. Okay, so that was the first half of the show. Second half is the rebroadcast of the War of the Worlds from 1938. Sit back, enjoy, and remember it's only a radio broadcast. Don't do anything foolish. Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the director of the Mercury Theater and star of these broadcasts, Orson Welles. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, and yet as mortal as his own. 
We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacence, people went to and fro over the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, spinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Yet across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that are to our minds as ours are to the beasts in the jungle, intellects, vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. In the 39th year of the 20th century came the great disillusionment. It was near the end of October. Business was better. The war scare was over. More men were back at work. Sales were picking up. On this particular evening, October 30th, the Crosley Service estimated that 32 million people were listening in on radios. For the next 24 hours, not much change in temperature. A slight atmospheric disturbance of undetermined origin is reported over Nova Scotia, causing a low-pressure area to move down rather rapidly over the northeastern states, bringing a forecast of rain accompanied by winds of light gale force. Maximum temperature 66, minimum 48. This weather report comes to you from the Government Weather Bureau. We take you now to the Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York, where you will be entertained by the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. From the Meridian Room in the Park Plaza Hotel in New York City, we bring you the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. With a touch of the Spanish, Raymond Raquello leads off with La Campancita. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Pearson of the observatory at Princeton confirms Farrell's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We now return you to the music of Ramon Raquello, playing for you in the Meridian Room of the Park Plaza Hotel, situated in downtown New York. Now a tune that never loses favor, the ever-popular Stardust, Raymond Raquello and his orchestra.
Ladies and gentlemen, following on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Meteorological Bureau has requested the large observatories of the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances occurring on the planet Mars. Due to the unusual nature of this occurrence, we have arranged an interview with a noted astronomer, Professor Pearson, who will give us his views on this event. In a few moments, we will take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, New Jersey. We return you until then to the music of Ramon Raquello and his orchestra. We are ready now to take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, where Carl Phillips, our commentator, will interview Professor Richard Pearson, famous astronomer. We take you now to Princeton, New Jersey. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is Carl Phillips speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton. I'm, I'm standing in a large semicircular room, pitch black except for an oblong split in the ceiling. Through this opening, I can see a sprinkling of stars that cast a kind of frosty glow over the intricate mechanism of the huge telescope. Ticking sound you hear is the vibration of the clockwork. Professor Pearson stands directly above me on a small platform, peering through the giant lens. I'll ask you to be patient, ladies and gentlemen, during any delay that may arise during our interview. Besides the ceaseless watch of the heavens, Professor Pearson may be interrupted by telephone or other communications. During this period, he is in constant touch with the astronomical centers of the world. Professor, may I begin our questions? At any time, Mr. Phillips. Professor. Would you please tell our radio audience exactly what you see as you observe the planet Mars through your telescope? Nothing unusual at the moment, Mr. Phillips. A red disk swimming in a blue sea. Transverse stripes across the disk. Quite distinct now because Mars happens to be at the point nearest the Earth in opposition, as we call it. In your opinion, what do these transverse stripes signify, Professor Pearson? Huh. Not canals, I can assure you, Mr. Phillips. They... Although, that's the popular conjecture of those who imagine Mars to be inhabited. From a scientific viewpoint, the stripes are merely the result of atmospheric conditions peculiar to the planet. Then you're quite convinced, as a scientist, that living intelligence as we know it does not exist on Mars? I should say the chances against it are a thousand to one. And yet, how do you account for these gas eruptions occurring on the surface of the planet at regular intervals? Phillips, I cannot account for it. Oh, by the way, Professor, for the benefit of our listeners... How far is Mars from the Earth? Approximately 40 million miles. <laughs> well, that seems a safe enough distance. Uh, just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Someone has just handed Professor Pearson a message. While he reads it, let me remind you that we, we are speaking to you from the observatory in Princeton, New Jersey, where we are interviewing the world-famous astronomer, Professor Pearson. Uh, one moment, please. Professor Pearson has passed me a message which he has just received. Uh, Professor, may I read the message to the listening audience? Certainly, Mr. Phillips. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall read you a wire addressed to Professor Pearson from Dr. Gray of the Natural History Museum, New York. Quote, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Seismograph registered shock of almost earthquake intensity occurring within a radius of 20 miles of Princeton. Please investigate. Signed, Lloyd Gray, Chief of Astronomical Division. Unquote. Professor Pearson, could this occurrence possibly have something to do with the disturbances observed on the planet Mars? Oh, hardly, Mr. Phillips. This is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we shall conduct a search as soon as daylight permits. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, for the past ten minutes, we've been speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton. 
bringing you a special interview with Professor Pearson, noted astronomer. This is Carl Phillips speaking. We are returning you now to our New York studio. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News, Toronto, Canada. Professor Morris of Macmillan University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a special bulletin from Trenton, New Jersey. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m. a huge flaming object, believed to be a meteorite, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles, and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth. We have dispatched a special mobile unit to the scene, and we'll have our commentator, Carl Phillips, give you a word picture of the scene as soon as he can reach there from Princeton. In the meantime, we take you to the Hotel Martinet in Brooklyn, where Bobby Millette and his orchestra are offering a program of dance music. We take you now to Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Carl Phillips again, out at the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Professor Pearson and myself made the 11 miles from Princeton in 10 minutes. Well, I hardly know where to begin to paint for you a word picture of the strange scene before my eyes, but something out of a modern Arabian night. Well, I just got here. I haven't had a chance to look around yet. I guess that's it. Yes, I guess that's the thing directly in front of me. Half buried in a vast pit. Must have struck with terrific force. The ground is covered with splinters of a tree. It must have struck on its way down. But I can see the object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor. At least not the meteors I've seen. It looks more like a huge cylinder. Has a diameter of, um, um, what would you say, Professor Pearson? What's that? Uh, what would you say, uh, what's the diameter of this? About 30 yards. About 30 yards. The metal on the sheath is, well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellowish-white. It's curious. Spectators now are pressing close to the object in spite of the efforts of the police to keep them back. They're getting in front of my line of vision. Uh, uh, would you mind standing one side, please? While the police are pushing the crowd back. Here's Mr. Wilmoth, owner of the farm here. He may have some interesting facts to add. Mr. Wilmoth... Uh, would you please tell the radio audience as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that dropped in your backyard? Uh, step closer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Wilmot. Well, I was listening to the radio. Uh, closer and louder, please. Pardon me? Uh, louder, please. Closer. Yes. <clears throat> I was listening to the radio and kind of drowsing. That professor fellow was talking about Mars, so I was half chosen and half... Yes, yes, Mr. Wilmot. And uh, then what happened? Well, as I was saying, I was listening to the radio... Kind of halfway. Yes, Mr. Wilmot. And then you saw something. Well, not first off. I heard something. And what did you hear? A hissing sound like this. Uh, kind of like a 4th of July rocket. Yes, then what? I turned my head out the window and would have sworn I was to sleep and dreaming. Yes. I seen a kind of greenish streak and then zingo. Something smacked the ground. Knocked me clear out of my chair. Well, were you frightened, Mr. Wilmot? Well, I ain't quite sure. I reckon I was... 
kind of riled. Well, thank you, Mr. Wilmot. Thank you very much. Yeah, you want me to tell No, that's quite all right. That's flattering. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard Mr. Wilmot, owner of the farm, where this thing has fallen. I wish I could convey the atmosphere, the background of this fantastic scene. Hundreds of cars are parked in a field in back of us, and the police are trying to rope off the roadway leading into the farm, but it's no use. They're breaking right through. The car's headlights throw an enormous spotlight on the pit where the object's half buried. Now, some of the more daring souls now are venturing near the edge. Yeah, the silhouettes stand out against the metal sheen. <laughs> One man wants to touch the thing. He's having an argument with the policeman. Now, the policeman wins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's something I haven't mentioned in all this excitement, but it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've caught it already on your radio. Listen, please. Do you hear it? It's a curious humming sound that seems to come from inside the object. I'll uh, move the microphone nearer. Here. Now, we're not more than 25 feet away. Uh, can you hear it now? Uh, Professor Pearson? Yes, Mr. Uh, can you tell us the meaning of that scraping noise inside the thing? Possibly the unequal cooling of its surface. I say, do you still think it's a meteor, Professor? I don't know what to think. The uh, metal casing is definitely extraterrestrial. Uh, not found on this Earth. Friction with the Earth's atmosphere usually tears holes in a meteorite. This thing is smooth, and you can see it's cylindrical oh, just a shape. Something's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. This end of the thing is beginning to flake off. The top is beginning to rotate like a screw, and the thing must be hollow. He's moving! Keep back there! Keep back there! Keep back there! Keep those hands back! 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 Might be almost there. heavens, something wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now it's another one and another one and another one. They look like tentacles to me. Oh, yeah, I can see the thing's body. Now it's large. It's large as a bear. It glistens like wet leather, but that face. It, it, ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. It's so awful. The eyes are black and they gleam like a serpent. The mouth is that's kind of V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips. It seemed to oh, quiver and pulsate and... Monster or whatever it is can hardly move. It seems weighed down by uh, possibly gravity or something. The thing's rising up now, and the crowd falls back. It seems plenty. The most extraordinary experience, ladies and gentlemen. I can't find words. And, well, I'll pull this microphone with me as I talk. I'll have to stop the description until I can take a new position. Hold on, will you please? I'll be right back in a minute. bringing you an eyewitness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. We now return you to Carl Phillips at Grover's Mill. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilmoth's garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. The more state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain's 
conferring with someone. Can't quite see who. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted, and the professor moves around one side, studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. Flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute. Something's happening. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Lord, they're turning into flames. Now the whole field's caught up by the woods. The fires, the, the gas tanks, tanks of the automobiles are spreading everywhere. It's coming this way now. About 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We continue now with our piano interlude. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed a message that came in from Grover's Mill by telephone. Just one moment, please. At least 40 people, including six state troopers, lie dead in a field east of the village of Grover's Mill. Their bodies burned and distorted beyond all possible recognition. The next voice you hear will be that of Brigadier General Montgomery Smith, commander of the state militia at Trenton, New Jersey. I have been requested by the governor of New Jersey to place the counties of Mercer and Middlesex as, as far west as Princeton and uh, east to Jamesburg under martial law. No one will be permitted to enter this area except by special pass issued by state or military authorities. Four companies of state militia are proceeding from Trenton to Grover's Mill and uh, will aid in the evacuation of homes within the range of military operations. Thank you. You have just been listening to General Montgomery Smith commanding the state militia at Trenton. In the meantime, further details of the catastrophe at Grover's Mill are coming in. The strange creatures, after unleashing their deadly assault, crawled back in their pit and made no attempt to prevent the efforts of the firemen to recover the bodies and extinguish the fire. The combined fire departments of Mercer County are fighting the flames which menace the entire countryside. We have been unable to establish any contact with our mobile unit at Grover's Mill, but we hope to be able to return you there at the earliest possible moment. In the meantime, we take you to... Just one moment, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just been informed that we have finally established communication with an eyewitness of the tragedy. Professor Pearson has been located at a farmhouse near Grover's Mill where he has established an emergency observation post. As a scientist, he will give you his explanation of the calamity. The next voice you hear will be that of Professor Pearson, brought to you by direct wire. Professor Pearson. Of the creatures in the rocket cylinder at Grover's Mill... I can give you no authoritative information, either as to their nature, their origin, or their purposes here on Earth. Of their destructive instrument, I might venture some conjectural explanation. 
For want of a better term, I shall refer to the mysterious weapon as a heat ray. It's all too evident that these creatures have scientific knowledge far in advance of our own. It's my guess that in some way they are able to generate an intense heat in a chamber of practically absolute non-conductivity. This intense heat they project in a parallel beam against any object they choose by means of a polished parabolic mirror of unknown composition, much as the mirror of a lighthouse projects a beam of light. That, that is my conjecture of the origin of the heat ray. Thank you, Professor Pearson. Ladies and gentlemen, here is a bulletin from Trenton. It is a brief statement informing us that the charred body of Carl Phillips has been identified in a Trenton hospital. Now, here's another bulletin from Washington, D.C. The office of the director of the National Red Cross reports 10 units of Red Cross emergency workers have been assigned to the headquarters of the state militia, stationed outside of Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Here's a bulletin from State Police, Princeton Junction. The fires at Grover's Mill and vicinity are now under control. Scouts report all quiet in the pit, and there is no sign of life appearing from the mouth of the cylinder. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special statement from Mr. Harry McDonald, Vice President in charge of operations. We have received a request from the state militia of Trenton to place at their disposal our entire broadcasting facilities. In view of the gravity of the situation, and believing that radio has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times, we are turning over our facilities to the state militia at Trenton. We take you now to the field headquarters of the state militia near Grover's Mill, New Jersey. This is Captain Lansing of the Signal Corps attached to the state militia, now engaged in military operations in the vicinity of Grover's Mill. Situation arising from the reported presence of certain individuals of unidentified nature is now under complete control. The cylindrical object, which lies in a pit directly below our position, surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry without heavy field pieces, but adequately armed with rifles and machine guns. All cause for alarm, if such cause ever existed, is now entirely unjustified. The things, whatever they are, do not even venture to poke their heads above the pit. I can see their hiding place plainly in the glare of the searchlights here. With all their reported resources, these creatures can scarcely stand up against heavy machine gun fire. Anyway, it's an interesting outing for the troops. I can make out their cocky uniforms crossing back and forth in front of the lights. Looks almost like a real war. There appears to be some slight smoke in the woods bordering the Millstone River, probably fire started by campers. Well, uh, we ought to see some action soon. One of the companies is deploying on the left flank. A quick thrust and it'll all be over. Now, wait a minute, I, I see something on top of the cylinder. No, no, it's nothing but a shadow. Now the troops are on the edge of the Wilmoth Farm. 7,000 armed men closing in on an old metal tube. A tub, rather. Well, wait, that wasn't a shadow. It's something moving. Solid metal, kind of a shield-like affair rising up out of the cylinder. It's going higher and higher. What? It's, it's standing on legs, actually rearing up on a sort of metal framework. Now it's reaching above the trees and the searchlights are on it. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at Grover Mills has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army in modern times. 
7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns pitted against a single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. The rest strewn over the battle area from Grover's Mill to Plainsboro, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster, or burned to cinders by its heat ray. The monster is now in control of the middle section of New Jersey and has effectively cut the state through its center. Communication lines are down from Pennsylvania to the Atlantic Ocean. Railroad tracks are torn and service from New York to Philadelphia discontinued except routing some of the trains through Allerton and Phoenixville. Highways to the north, south, and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control the mad flight. By morning, the fugitives will have swelled Philadelphia, Camden, and Trenton. It is estimated to twice their normal population. Martial law prevails throughout New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. At this time, we take you to Washington for a special broadcast on the national emergency. The Secretary of the Interior. Citizens of the nation, I shall not try to conceal the gravity of the situation that confronts the country, nor the concern of your government in protecting the lives and property of its people. However, I wish to impress upon you private citizens and public officials, all of you, the urgent need of calm and resourceful action. Fortunately, this formidable enemy is still confined to a comparatively small area, and we may place our faith in the military forces to keep them there. In the meantime, placing our faith in God we must continue the performance of our duties, each and every one of us, so that we may confront this destructive adversary with a nation united, courageous, and consecrated to the preservation of human supremacy on this earth. I thank you. You have just heard the Secretary of the Interior speaking from Washington. Bulletins too numerous to read are piling up in the studio here. We're informed that the central portion of New Jersey is blacked out from radio communication due to the effect of the heat ray upon power lines and electrical equipment. Here's a special bullet in New York. Cables have been received from English, French, and German scientific bodies offering assistance. Astronomers report continued gas outbursts at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The majority voice the opinion that the enemy will be reinforced by additional rocket machines. There have been several attempts made to locate Professor Pearson of Princeton, who has observed Martians at close range. It is feared he was lost in the recent battle. Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report three Martian machines visible above treetops, moving north toward Somerville with population fleeing ahead of them. The heat ray is not in use, although advancing at express train speed, invaders pick their way carefully. They seem to be making a conscious effort to avoid destruction of cities and countryside. However, they stop to uproot power lines, bridges, and railroad tracks. Their apparent objective is to crush resistance, paralyze communication, and disorganize human society. Here is a bulletin from Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Coon hunters have stumbled on a second cylinder similar to the first embedded in the Great Swamp 20 miles south of Morristown. Army field pieces are proceeding before the cylinder can be opened and the fighting machine rigged. They are taking up a position in the foothills of Watchung Mountains. Another, another, another bulletin from Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report enemy machines now three in number, increasing speed northward, kicking over houses and trees in their evident haste to form a conjunction with their allies south of Morristown. Machines also sighted by telephone operator east of Middlesex within 10 miles of Plainfield. Here's a bulletin from Winston Field, Long Island. A fleet of army bombers carrying heavy explosives flying north in pursuit of enemy. 
scouting planes act as guides. They keep the speeding enemy in sight. Just a moment, please, ladies and gentlemen. We've, uh, we've run special wires to the artillery line and adjacent villages to give you direct reports in the zone of the advancing enemy. First, we take you to the battery of the 22nd Field Artillery, located in the Watching Mountains. Range, 32 meters. 32 meters. Projection, 39 degrees. 39 degrees. Fire! Forty yards to the right, sir. Shift range, 31 meters. 31 meters. Projection, 37 degrees. 37 degrees. Fire. Hit, sir. Got the tripod of one of them. That's up. The others are trying to repair Quick, it. Quick, get the range. Shift, 50, 30 meters. 30 meters. Projection, 27 degrees. 27 degrees. Fire. You can see the shell answer. Letting off a smoke. What is it? Black smoke, sir. Moving this way. Flying close to the ground. Moving fast. Put on gas masks. Get ready to fire. Shift to 24 meters. 24 meters. Projection, 24 degrees. 24 degrees. Fire! Still can't see, sir. Smoke's coming nearer. Get the range. <coughs> 33 meters. 23 meters. 23 meters. Projection, 22 degrees. 22 Army bombing plane B-843 off Bayonne, New Jersey. Lieutenant Bolt, commanding eight bombers, reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. This is Bolt reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. Enemy tripod machines now in sight. Reinforced by three machines from the Morristown Cylinder. Six altogether. One machine partially crippled. Believed hit by shell from army gun in Wachung Mountains. Guns now appear silent. A heavy black fog hanging close to the earth of extreme density, nature unknown. No sign of heat ray. Enemy now turns east, crossing Passaic River into the Jersey marshes. Another straddles the Pulaski Skyway. Evident objective is New York City. They're pushing down a high-tension power station. The machines are close together now, and we're ready to attack. Planes circling, ready to strike. A thousand yards, and we'll be over the first. Eight hundred yards. Six hundred. Four hundred. Two hundred. There they go. The giant arm raised. Green flash. They're spraying us with flame. 
2,000 feet. Engines are giving out. No chance to release bombs. Only one thing left. Drop on them, plane and all. We're diving on the first one. Now the engine's gone. Eight... Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. This is Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. Come in, please. This is Langham Field. Go ahead. Eight Army bombers in engagement with enemy tripod machines over Jersey Flats. Engines incapacitated by heat ray. All crashed. One enemy machine destroyed. Enemy now discharging heavy black smoke in direction of... This is Newark, New Jersey. This is Newark, New Jersey. Warning. Poisonous black smoke pouring in from Jersey marshes. Reaches South Street. Gas masks useless. Urge population to move into open spaces. Automobiles use routes 7, 23, 24. Avoid congested areas. Smoke now spreading over, over Raymond Boulevard. Two X to L calling CQ. Two X to L calling CQ. Two X to L calling eight X three R. Come in, please. This is eight X three R coming back at two X two L. Eyes reception. Eyes reception. K, please. Where are you, eight X three R? What's the matter? Where are you? I'm speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building. I'm speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building, New York City. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. Hutchison River Parkway is still kept open for motor traffic. Avoid bridges to Long Island, hopelessly jammed. All communication with Jersey Shore closed ten minutes ago. No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, Air Force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. People are holding service here below us in the cathedral. Now I look down the harbor, all, all manner of boats, overloaded with fleeing population, pulling out from docks. Streets are all jammed. Noise in crowds like New Year's Eve in city. Wait a minute, the, the enemy is now in sight above the Palisades. Five. Five great machines. First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here, wading, wading the Hudson like a man wading through a brook. A bulletin is handed me. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside of Buffalo, one in Chicago, St. Louis. Seem to be timed and spaced. Now the first machine reaches the shore. He stands watching, looking over the city. The steel cowlish head is even with the skyscrapers. 
He waits for the others. They rise like a line of new towers on the city's west side. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. Smoke comes out, black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running toward the East River, thousands of them, dropping in like rats. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They, they're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing 6th Avenue. 5th Avenue. A uh, hundred yards away. It's, it's 50 feet. listening to a CBS presentation of Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on the Air in an original dramatization of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. The performance will continue after a brief intermission. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, starring Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on the Air. set down these notes on paper. I'm obsessed by the thought that I may be the last living man on earth. I've been hiding in this empty house near Grover's Mill, a small island of daylight cut off by the black smoke from the rest of the world. All that happened before the arrival of these monstrous creatures in the world now seems part of another life. A life that has no continuity with the present existence of the lonely derelict who pencils these words on the back of some astronomical notes bearing the signature of Richard Pearson. I look down at my blackened hands and I try to connect them with a professor who lives at Princeton and who on the night of October 20th glimpsed through his telescope an orange splash of light on a distant planet. My wife... My colleagues, my students, my books, my observatory, my... my world. Where are they? Did they ever exist? Am I Richard Pearson? 
What day is it? Do days exist without calendars? Does time pass when there are no human hands left to wind the clocks? Writing down my daily life, I tell myself I shall preserve human history between the dark covers of this little book that was meant to record the movements of the stars, but to write I must live, and to live I must eat. Find moldy bread in the kitchen and an orange not too spoiled to swallow. Keep watch at the window. Time to time I catch sight of a Martian above the black smoke. Smoke still holds the house in its black coil, but at length there's a hissing sound, and suddenly I see a Martian mounted on his machine, spraying the air with a jet of steam as if to dissipate the smoke. I watch in a corner as his huge metal legs nearly brush against the house. Exhausted by terror, I fall asleep. Morning. Morning. Sun streams in the window. Black cloud of gas is lifted, and the scorched meadows to the north look as though a black snowstorm had passed over them. I venture from the house. I make my way to a road, no traffic. Here in their wrecked car, baggage overturned, a blackened skeleton. Push on north. For some reason I feel safer trailing these monsters than running away from them. And I keep a careful watch. I've seen the Martians feed. Should one of their machines appear over the top of trees, I'm ready to fling myself flat on the earth. I come to a chestnut tree. October. Chestnuts are ripe. Fill my pockets. I must keep alive. Two days I wander in a vague northerly direction through a desolate world. Finally, I notice a living creature. A small red squirrel in a beech tree. I stare at him and wonder. He stares back at me. I believe at that moment the animal and I shared the same emotion. The joy of finding another living being. Push on north, I find dead cows in a brackish field and beyond the charred ruins of a dairy in a silo. Main standing guard over the wasteland like a lighthouse. Deserted by the sea. Stride the silo, perches a weathercock. The arrow points north. North. Next day, I come to a city. city vaguely familiar in its contours, yet its buildings strangely dwarfed and leveled off as if, as if a giant had sliced off its highest towers with a capricious sweep of his hand. Reached the outskirts, I found Newark. Newark, undemolished but humbled by some whim of the advancing Martians. Presently, with an odd feeling of being watched, I caught sight of something crouching in a doorway. I made a step towards it. It rose up and became a man. A man armed with a large knife. Stop! Where do you come from? Oh, I come from... from many places... A long time ago from Princeton. Princeton, huh? That's near Grover's Mill. Yes. Grover's Mill. <laughs> There's no food here. This is my country. All this end of town down the river. There's only food for one. 
Which way are you going? I don't know. I guess I'm looking for people. Hey, what was that? Did you hear something just then? No. Only a bird. A live bird. Yeah. You get to know that birds have shadows these days. Say, hey, we're in the open here. Let's crawl in this doorway here and talk. Have you seen any Martians? No. They're going over to New York. Night, the sky's alive with their lights, just as if people were still living in it. By daylight, you can't see them. Five days ago, a couple of them carried something big across the flats from the airport. I think they're learning how to fly. Fly? Yeah, fly. Then it's all over with humanity. Stranger, there's still you and I. Two of us left. Yeah. They got themselves in solid. They wrecked the greatest country in the world. Those green stars, they're probably falling somewhere every night. They've only lost one machine. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're licked. Where were you? You're in a uniform. Yeah, what's left of it. I was in the militia. National Guard. <laughs> That's good. There wasn't any war, any more than there's war between men and ants. Yes, but we're eatable ants. I found that out. What'll they do to us? I thought it all out. Right now, we're caught as we're wanted. A Martian only has to go a few miles to get a crowd on the run. But they won't keep on doing that. They'll begin catching us systematic-like, keeping the best and storing us in cages and things. They haven't begun on us yet. Not begun? Not begun. All that's happened so far is because we don't have sense enough to keep quiet. Bothering them with guns and such stuff and losing our heads and rushing off in crowds. Now, instead of our rushing around blind, we got to fix ourselves up. Fix ourselves up according to the way things are now. Cities, nations, civilization, progress. Yes, but if that's so, what is there to live for? Well, there won't be any more concerts for a million years or so and no nice little dinners at restaurants. If it's amusement you're after, I guess the game's up. What is there left? Life, that's what. I want to live. Yeah, and so do you. We're not going to be exterminated. And I don't mean to be caught either. Tamed and fattened and bred like an ox. What are you going to do? I'm going on. Right under their feet. I got a plan. We men as men, we're finished. We don't know enough. We got to learn plenty before we got a chance. We've got to live and keep free while we learn, see? I've thought it all out, see? Well, tell me the rest. Well, it isn't all of us that are made for wild beasts. That's what it got it. That's what it gotta be. That's why I watched you. Watched you. All those little office workers that used to live in these houses, they'd be no good. They haven't any stuff in them. They used to run. Run off to work. I've seen hundreds of them running to catch their commuter's train in the morning, afraid they could can if they didn't. Running back at night. Afraid they wouldn't be in time for dinner. Lives insured and a little invested in case of accidents. Yeah, and on Sundays, worried about the hereafter. Well, the Martians, they'll be a godsend for those guys. Nice roomy cages, good food, careful breeding, no worries. Yeah, after a week or so of chasing around the fields on empty stomachs, they'll come and be glad to be caught. You've thought it all out, haven't you? Sure, you bet I have. That isn't all. These Martians are going to make pets of some of them. Train them to do tricks. 
Who knows? Gets sentimental over the pet boy who grew up and had to be killed. Yeah. And some, maybe. They'll train to hunt us. Oh, no. It's impossible. Human yes, beings. they will. There's men who do it gladly. If one of them ever comes after me, by. In the meantime, you and I and others like us, where are we to live when the Martians own the Earth? I got it all figured out. We'll live underground. I've been thinking about the sewers. Under New York, there are miles and miles of them. The main ones, they're big enough for anybody. Then there's cellars, vaults, underground storerooms, railway tunnels, subways. You begin to see, huh? We'll get a bunch of strong men together. No weaklings. That rubbish, out. As you meant me to go. All right. Give you a chance, didn't I? Won't quarrel about that. Go on. Well, we got to make safe places for us to stay in, see? Get all the books we can. Science books. That's where men like you come in, see? We raid the museums. We'll even spy on the Martians. May not be so much we have to learn before... Listen. Just imagine this. Four or five of their own fighting machines suddenly start off. Heat rays right and left. Not a Martian in them. Not a Martian in them, see? But men. Men who've learned the way how. May even be in our time. Gee. Imagine having one of them lovely things with a heat ray wide and free. We'd turn it on Martians. We'd turn it on men. We'd bring everybody down on their knees. That's your plan. Yeah. You. Me. A few more of us. We'd own the world. I see. Hey. Hey, what's the matter? Where are you going? Not to your world. Bye, stranger. Well, after parting with the artilleryman, I came at last to the Holland Tunnel, entered that silent tube, anxious to know the fate of the great city on the other side of the Hudson. Cautiously, I came out of the tunnel and made my way up Canal Street. Reached 14th Street, and there again were... Black powder and several bodies and an evil, ominous smell from the gratings of the cellars of some of the houses. I wandered up through the 30s and 40s, stood alone on Times Square, caught sight of a lean dog running down 7th Avenue with a piece of dark brown meat in his jaws and a pack of starving mongrels at his heels. He made a wide circle around me as though he feared I might prove a fresh competitor. Walked up Broadway in the direction of that... That strange powder, past silent shop windows, displaying their mute wares to empty sidewalks. Past the Capitol Theater, silent, dark. Past a shooting gallery where a row of empty guns faced an arrested line of wooden ducks. Near Columbus Circle, I noticed models of 1939 motor cars in the showrooms facing empty streets. Over the top of the General Motors building, I watched a flock of black birds circling in the sky. Hurried on. Suddenly, I caught sight of the hood of a Martian machine standing somewhere in Central Park, gleaming in the late afternoon sun. An insane idea. I, I, I rushed recklessly across Columbus Circle and into the park. I, I climbed a small hill above the pond at 60th Street, and from there I could see, standing in a silent row along the mall, 19 of those great metal... Titans, their cowls empty, their steel arms 
hanging listlessly by their sides. I looked in vain for the monsters that inhabit those machines. Suddenly, my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of black birds that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground. And there before my eyes, stark and silent, lay the Martians with the hungry birds pecking and tearing brown shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in laboratories, it was found that they were killed by the putrefactive and diseased bacteria against which their systems were unprepared. Slain, after all, man's defenses had failed by the humblest thing that God, as wisdom, has put upon this earth. Before the cylinder fell, there was a general persuasion that through all the deep of space, no life existed beyond the petty surface of our minute sphere. Now we see further, dim and wonderful is the vision I've conjured up in my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seedbed of the solar system throughout the inanimate vastnesses of sidereal space. But a remote dream, maybe. Maybe that the destruction of the Martians is only a reprieve to them and not to us. The future ordained, perhaps. Ah, strange it now seems to sit in my peaceful study at Princeton, writing down this last chapter of the record, begun at a deserted farm in Grover's Mill. Strange to watch children playing in the streets. Strange to see young people strolling on the green where the new spring grass heals the last black scars of a bruised earth. Strange to watch the sightseers enter the museum where the dissembled parts of a Martian machine are kept on public view. Strange when I recall the time when I first saw it. Bright and clean-cut, hard and silent under the dawn of that last great day. <laughs> This is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen, out of character to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo. Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS. You will be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. So goodbye, everybody, and remember, please, for the next day or so, the terrible lesson you learned tonight. That grinning, glowing, globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch, and if your doorbell rings and nobody's there... That was no Martian. It's Halloween. Tonight, the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations coast to coast has brought you The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, the 17th in its weekly series of dramatic broadcasts 
featuring Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on the air. Next week, we present a dramatization of three famous short stories. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. And now for the legal jibber-jabber. Let's Talk It All is for entertainment only, and the opinions expressed are those of the expressors and not necessarily those of anyone else. The First Amendment and the randomly placed phrase, or did they, is all the legal protection we need to express ourselves in a serious, sarcastic, informative way. A lot of what we know is from the internet, so it has to be true and accurate. So please hate the game and not the player.